you remember playing kickball? We used to play all the time when we were kids. It's kind of like baseball, but you play with a playground ball, and obviously you kick it. That's why it's called kickball. Anyway, I remember a game when I was in fourth or fifth grade. It was at school. The whole class was playing, and my team was up. We were down by one run. The bases were loaded. We had two outs, and it was my turn to kick. And these are the moments you dream of, right? You can be the hero in front of all your friends. Well, the pitcher rolled the ball. I stepped forward to kick it, and boom, I shanked it over the fence, out of bounds, automatic out. Our team loses. So the other team's cheering and going crazy, and I had to do the walk of shame to go get the ball. But just then, someone on my team yells, do over, do over. The universal playground rule that every team gets a second chance. So everyone had to go back to where they were. We had to get back on the bases. And this time I kicked it straight and we won the game. How great would it be to have do-overs in everyday life? Am I right? You do or say something embarrassing, something that you just wish you could take back. Everyone's looking at you and then you just say, do-over. Everyone forgets it. All's forgotten. How great would that be? Or you come home late from work and your wife is talking to you while you're trying to watch ESPN and then you realize she's gone as the door slams. Do over. I'm listening. Let's try it again. Well, the Bible is all about do overs. And today we're going to talk about probably the biggest one ever. And we'll see what it means for each of us. We'll see that having a relationship with Jesus can change our past can change our present, and can change our future. Before we read the passage from John 21, let me just recap what's happening for us here. I also want to give my brother Paul a shout out. He's a pastor in Vermont, and he helped walk through this message with me. So it's after Easter, and Jesus has already appeared to the disciples twice before. Once on Easter Sunday night, when they're locked up in the room without Thomas, they're afraid, so they just lock the doors, and suddenly Jesus appears and speaks peace to them. This is what Pastor Dave preached on last week. The second time came several days later. They're still behind locked doors, but this time Thomas is with them. Jesus appears again, and he tells Thomas, doubting Thomas, touch my hands, touch my side, see that I'm alive and that I'm real. Now, sometime after that, Jesus appears to Peter and six of the disciples on a beach in Galilee. And it's clear that he's come for Peter this time. The night before, Peter tells the others, I think I'll go fishing. And they all get in the boat and go with him. Now, I can understand why they'd want to go fishing. They've just spent the last three years with Jesus. Then they saw him die. Then they saw him live again. And now he's showing up and disappearing and they don't know when he's going to come back next. That's a lot to process. When times are challenging, when our routine is turned completely upside down, it's easy to want to go back to something you're comfortable with, some routine that you remember. These men have fished all their lives. This is something that they could do without thinking. It's muscle memory for them. There's no one bothering them, no one chasing them. It's just them on a boat on the water. Very calming. For Peter, it was much more than that, though. He was no longer, uh, he no longer felt worthy to serve Jesus. He felt like he'd been disqualified. He felt like a failure. 
He had abandoned Jesus when he needed him most. Yes, Scripture tells us that the other disciples left as well, but Peter went even further and denied knowing Jesus at all. So he failed Jesus when he was needed the most, and now he felt like things would never be the same. He'd never get back to where he was. Do you ever feel that way? That something in your past is blocking your relationship with God? Peter could totally relate to that. That night, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. Three times. In Luke's version, he said that Peter could see Jesus across the courtyard. And when he denied him that third time, he heard the rooster crow. Jesus looked up, made eye contact with Peter. And that did it for him. He was broken. He wept and just ran away again. Now, weeks later, he still can't forgive himself. And he can't forget that look in Jesus' eyes. And the guilt and the shame from his past keep him from finding joy in the present and a purpose for the future. So what does he do? He goes back to his old ways, to something that comforts him, something that he was good at. He goes back fishing. Now, Peter, he still believes in God. He still believes in Jesus. Of course, he's seen him come back from the dead. But his struggle with his failure is keeping him from following Jesus like he should. His past is keeping him from enjoying the abundant life that Jesus promised for us. And I think we can all relate to that to some extent. We're all weighed down with guilt and regret. Some of us are haunted by terrible things that happened when we were younger. I get that. Some of us are bitter over past hurts and unmet expectations. Some of us can't stop hearing the lies that just play over and over in our heads. I believe that Jesus is alive. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. I believe that his kingdom will never fail. I believe that I've been forgiven and that he loves me and he wants the best for me. I believe all that. And yet there are still things that I let come between us. My selfishness, my pride. I want to do things my way. I think that if I just work harder, if I get more done, then I'll be happy and I'll get what I want. We all have our stuff. We all have this baggage, these lies that keep us from the full life that Jesus wants us to live. Peter certainly did, and that's why Jesus came to him on the beach that day. So the disciples are fishing all night. They haven't caught a thing. The sun's coming up, and through the mist on the water, they can see that there's someone on the beach, but they don't know that it's Jesus. He calls out, hey, did you catch anything? Uh, no, thanks. Thanks for that, though. So he tells them, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and they do it, and the nets are overflowing with fish. So now you have to picture this scene. Peter is struggling to haul the net into the boat, and the other disciple, John, says, wait a minute. This has happened before. The long night, the empty nets, someone telling us to try again. When they first started following Jesus as disciples, that's exactly what happened. So John tells Peter, I, I think that's Jesus. And Peter does exactly what you'd expect him to do. He jumps off the boat and swims to shore. And when he gets to the beach, 
He sees a fire of burning coals with fish and bread and Jesus sitting in the sand. And that's where we pick up today's passage. Follow along as I read from John 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt now because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of God. Amen. So earlier in the passage, John makes a point of saying that there's a charcoal fire burning on the beach. And I think that's important. Did you ever notice how certain smells can trigger a memory? For me, the smell of pine always takes me back to Christmas, right? Or whenever I smell fresh cut wood or sawdust, I think of my grandfather's workshop. Maybe for you, it's the smell of baking that reminds you of your mother or your grandmother. Or maybe the smell of coconut reminds you of summer and the beach. Whatever it is, certain scents can trigger powerful memories. For Peter, the smell of charcoal had to take him back to that night. Someone had built a charcoal fire in the courtyard where Jesus was taken. Peter was standing around the fire when he ended up denying Jesus. Now he's smelling that same smoke again from the fire on the beach, and those memories come creeping back. He sees the slave girl that recognized him and asks if he was with Jesus. And he says, woman, I don't know him. And while he's remembering this, Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There's so much in that question. First, Jesus calls him Simon, son of John. He's not Peter right now. He's not the rock. Jesus is taking him all the way back to the beginning. And he's saying, I know who you are, Simon. I know all about you. It's okay. Then he asks, do you love me more than these? Jesus probably means, do you love me more than these others do? On that last night, Jesus said that all of his disciples would leave him. But Peter said, even if they all leave you, I will still be here. I'll never abandon you. Jesus is giving him another chance. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now Peter had to think, well, here it comes. What's he going to say next? What's my punishment going to be? What do I have to do to make things right? But Jesus replies, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Wait, what? You still want me to serve with you? You still trust me to do this after what I did? 
Peter smells the smoke again and he flashes back to that night and he hears a soldier ask him, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter says, no, it's not me. I'm not one of those guys. Then he hears Jesus ask again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Just a quick aside here. You may have heard this passage taught before. Maybe you've studied it yourself and wondered if Jesus and Peter are using the same uh, words or, same, or different words for love that may have different meanings. John, the author of this book, he used different words for love interchangeably throughout his gospel. So don't read too much into that. This wasn't a test. Jesus wasn't testing Peter to see what kind of love he had. No, this was all about grace. Grace, God's undeserved favor available to each one of us. Grace is all about do-overs and second chances and not about testing. So Peter says, you know I love you. And Jesus responds, take care of my sheep. Shepherd them, lead them, protect them, care for them. That's a big responsibility for someone who's let you down before. A third time, Peter sees the fire, remembers a slave in the courtyard asking him, didn't I see you in the garden with Jesus? This time Peter swears, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. Jesus asks one last time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter's upset because Jesus keeps asking the same question. He says, Lord, you, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He's saying to Peter, he says to us, take your story and share it with others. Tell them what I've done for you. Tell them how grace has changed your life, how it's redeemed your past and made you a new present and a new future. Tell your story. Feed my lambs. Bobby Herrera is the author of The Gift of Struggle. He's president also of the Populist Group, a workforce management company. He grew up part of a migrant farm working family. And since the age of seven, he spent every day in the fields picking whatever fruit or vegetable was in season at that time. When he turned 18, he joined the army and he tells the story that halfway through basic training, when others were complaining about the schedule and the hard work and were dropping out, Bobby thought, this isn't so bad. He'd been yelled at and picked on his whole life, and at least here he had a place to sleep and food to eat. He remembers thinking that maybe everything he went through before was just preparing him for this moment and for his future, for what comes next. And he realized that everyone struggles, but we can learn from our struggles. This was a turning point in his whole life. His past was reframed, and it helped him reshape his future. We see that in Peter. He was transformed by this meeting with Jesus. The Peter we saw in the Gospels, brash and arrogant, a little hot-headed, impulsive, honestly not really understanding everything Jesus was teaching. He later became a pillar of the New Testament church. 
In the book of Acts, we see him as a humble leader of the apostles, a bold preacher, a decision maker who considered all sides. He became the rock again, and all because of the grace of Jesus. A relationship with Jesus changes our past, and it changes our present, changes our present. In verse 19, Jesus tells Peter to follow me, follow me. And it literally means keep following me. Peter, keep following me. His past is forgiven. The guilt and shame are removed. And now Peter has a choice to make. What will I do with my life? How will my relationship with Jesus change my present? Two things I want to look at here. Two things. Translating our words into action and getting the order right. Translating words into action and getting the order right. Stay with me for a minute. Each time that Jesus asks if Peter loves him, he ties it back to an action. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's not enough to just say that you love Jesus. You have to transfer those words into action. At some point, the love that you say you have must line up with the actions you take, right? Eventually, what you do has to sync up with what you say. Otherwise, something is wrong. Peter said that he would never leave Jesus. But when things became difficult, when pressure mounted, his actions didn't match up with his words. I can say I love my wife or I'm a dedicated student or, or I'm a hard-working employee. But if our actions don't match our words, at some point we have to ask, what is really true? Jesus was telling Peter, he's telling us, I know you love me. I know you love me. Now show me your love by serving others. Jesus demonstrated this for the disciples at the Last Supper when he washed their feet. He told them, follow my example. And then he gave them a new command. Love one another. Love one another because love is how everyone will know that you belong to me when they see the love you have for each other. We've seen so many examples of this these past few weeks from all of you by how you've donated food, made masks, made signs, reached out to each other. That is all love and action. And it shows the world around us the love you have for Jesus. Good job. Good job. So translate your words into action. And second, get the order right. Get the order right. Jesus starts by asking if we love him. Then he talks about serving. Love first, then service. If we try to serve without first loving Jesus, we're bound, we're bound to fail and burn out. This was part of Peter's problem. He was trying to operate under his own power for his own glory. I will never leave you, even if everyone else does. I will never let you down. It was all about Peter, not about Jesus. I can totally see that temptation in myself where I'm operating out of love for me and what I want and what I can get, not out of love for Jesus and what I can give him. One last point here. Please don't think that serving will somehow make Jesus love you more. That's impossible. He loves you completely already. We serve him because we love him, not to make him love us. 
So our relationship with Jesus changes our past. It changes our present and changes our future. Changes our future. Last week, Prince William and Kate, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, made a video call to children whose parents are working in the front lines of the pandemic. The kids held up pictures that they drew and presented Kate with a virtual bouquet of flowers. It was all very sweet. But then it came time for questions, and one of the boys said to the prince, the first William was called William the Conqueror. What do you want to be called a thousand years from now? <laughs> prince William laughed and said, I don't know how to answer that. But wow, what a great question that is. How will you be remembered? How will you be remembered? It makes you think. Before that morning on the beach, I'm sure that Peter thought that going back to fishing was a good idea. He'd be out on the sea every day. He could make a nice living, maybe settle down, raise a family. It's not a bad life. But then Jesus came back and said, do you love me? And will you follow me? And Peter had a choice to make. Will I do what I want to do or will I do what Jesus wants me to do? Andy Stanley points out that we have no idea what hangs in the balance when God asks us to do something. No idea. Not only that, we don't know who hangs in the balance. We don't know what relationships we'll miss out on, who we'll miss getting to meet, what joy we'll never experience if we say no to God's invitation to take that one next step. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, here I am. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And this is for all of us. This isn't a one-time thing. Jesus is looking for a relationship with you and with me. John 15 says he calls us friends. He wants a friendship with you, and all we have to do is answer the door. He will take the hurt from our past, give us the strength we need in the future, and give us a purpose for the future. That's what Peter chose. He chose to follow Jesus and chose to keep following him for the rest of his life. I want to give Peter the last word here. He wrote two letters in the Bible. Letters to feed us and shepherd us like Jesus asked him to do. At the end of his first letter, he tells us to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, that we should be alert, that we should stand firm in the faith. And then he says this, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Peter knew that firsthand. He knew what it felt like to be restored by Jesus, and it changed his entire life. God wants to do the same thing for you.